Good morning, fellowship. As we begin worship this morning, we come to the words of David, who considers the goodness of God as reflected in protection and guidance and mentors and the boundaries that God sets for us. In this way, we come to not only see and praise the goodness of God, but experience it and share in the goodness of God. And so this morning, as a part of our call to worship, I invite you to ponder these words of David from Psalm 16. This will be a call and response. And so I will say the one, and I invite you to um, say and ponder the all. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You are our God. All good things come from your hand alone. For the ordinary saints who point the way, the heroes of the faith who have gone before us, you are our God. All good things come from your hand alone. For the wisdom to know that idols only promise salvation, but deliver ruin and pain. You are our God. All good things come from your hand alone. For the love that loved us first and chose us as your own, you even guard the blessing that you have bestowed upon us. In you and because of you, we belong. You are our God. All good things come from your hand alone. You grant us guardrails that keep us on the path boundaries and signposts that help us discover greater freedom. Your truth is like a lighthouse on a stormy night. You are our God. All good things come from your hand alone. You guide and direct us down the right path. You instruct us in the way that we should go. You are our God. All good things come from your hand alone. Like a father, you discipline us. Like a mother, you fiercely protect and guide us. Like a shepherd, you are beside us as we walk through treacherous circumstances and decisions. And even as we stumble and falter, you ensure that we don't fall. You are our God. All good things come from your hand alone. My soul rejoices, for it finds secure rest in you. You are our God. All good things come from your hand alone. You have never abandoned us, and you never will, even when we can't see or feel you. We know that you are our God, and all good things come from your hand alone. You make known to us the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You are our God. All good things come from your hand alone. Would you stand and sing with us?
Join me in your hearts in prayer. God of creation and lover of our souls, we give thanks today for the gift of life and breath and a new day. We are thankful for freedom 
especially today, for the freedom to worship together publicly, to own Bibles, to read, and to live and share our faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for the freedom that we do enjoy in our country. We pray for Christians who cannot worship openly, who have few Bibles and are forbidden to give their own children Christian instruction. We ask you to give them courage and endurance in the face of persecution. Jesus, you have taught us that real freedom comes from you alone. You alone are the way, the truth, and the life. And when we know the truth, when we know you, the truth embodied, you will set us free. You have set us free, and we thank you. This morning, we confess, O Lord, that we are bound in ways we think we are free. Using our so-called freedom to sin, hurting ourselves, others, and your creation. We are often bound by lies we believe, by addictions, and by the idols we serve. Idols of safety and security. Idols of control and power. Idols of the approval or attention of others. We admit, O Lord, that we sometimes view your loving bounds and guidelines as cramping our freedom. Forgive us, O Lord, and set us free from the lies and bondage that are opposed to your truth. O Lord, you desire truth in our inward being, so we ask you to teach us wisdom in our secret heart. May your light and your truth lead us to our home. Remove the weight of our sin so room can be made in our hearts for the spirit of truth. We know that as we open our hearts, your spirit abides within us and the truth will set our spirits free. Then we will truly be free to love, not only in word or in speech, but in actions and in truth and in faithful service. Lord, you desire truth in our inward being. And so we ask you to teach us wisdom in our secret heart. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Let's continue in worship as we sing the ancient words of amazing grace.
let's continue to sing together. forgiven in Christ. It is because of Jesus that we are set free from the power of sin and death and made free to love God and others. Friends, the peace of Christ be with you. I invite you as you are comfortable to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor. Those of you joining us online, greet each other in the chat. Pastors here, if I've not yet met you, um, and he, sorry, that was the wrong intro. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Um, if you are new with us, um, maybe this is your first Sunday here, maybe you've been with us for a couple of Sundays and you're ready to take that next step to get to know us a little bit better as a community, uh, there are some things in the back called connection cards. You can fill one of those out. Um, you can pick it up from the tables in the back, fill one of those out, and you can take it over to the Welcome Center. And there's some really amazing, friendly folks there who would love to meet you and greet you by name and help you to get to know us a little bit better. 
Uh, I only have a couple announcements for us this morning. Uh, first, uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, but if you missed it, we are hosting um, our first annual, maybe annual, <laughs> summer party uh, this coming, or in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're calling it the Grill Out Chill Out, um, and there are invitations to that at the Welcome Center, but the Grill Out Chill Out is basically, it's a part of an intentional effort that we're uh, embarking on to extend 10,000 invitations to uh, people within fellowship and also beyond fellowship right here on the north side. Uh, so we're hosting the Grill Out Chill Out on July 12, and we would love to see you there, and 5,000 fellowship points if you invite a friend. Redeemable for free coffee in the atrium. So. <laughs> uh, so secondly, coming up this fall, you've got a little bit of time to think about this, but we are um, embarking on something that we're calling the Immerse Bible Study. Uh, Immerse Bible Study um, is essentially an opportunity for us to um, pour ourselves or immerse immerse ourselves in the scriptures uh, over the course of the next couple of years, uh, essentially reading through the entirety of the scriptures in two eight-week chunks a year two eight-week chunks a year. That's 16 weeks out of a year. Um, and the benefit of doing this, um, how many of you have ever started a Bible in a year, like, like journey? Okay, how many of you have finished the Bible in a year journey? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so typically, it's really, really difficult to do, especially when you're doing it on your own. The benefit of doing something like this in a community is that you can cheer each other on, you can learn together, um, you can study together, and you can apply the scriptures to your lives together. So, uh, if you are interested in hearing more about that, several of our groups are already signing on to do this and we're willing to organize new groups as well. So just reach out to me or any of the other pastors on staff and we'd be happy to help you with that. Lastly, um, speaking of immersing ourselves in the scriptures, I want to invite up all of our youths um, up to fifth grade. Uh, if you can just gather around here in the front with Pastor Nate. Come on up, my friends. I got some fun things for you. They're red. So if any kids or kids at heart want to come up, I'd love to have you join me up in the front here. You got it, Colton. There's a few of you. You can be brave. I, I, I promise you I'll be nice. Come on up. Oh, yeah. Here they come. Here they come. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Anybody know what these things are? Dice. Dice? I, 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 oh, you want to roll them, don't you? I'm going to let you all roll them since there's just a few of you here up here this morning. I want to see who can, oh, <laughs> now they're all coming up. Come on. We doubled our size. We're going to have you all try to roll them. And I want to get, let you see, see who can get a doubles, which means you get the same number on the top. All right. Why don't you go first? Oh, you can do it on stage. Yeah, let's do it on the stage. Oh, a five and a one. Bummer. Okay, next person, next person. See who gets the doubles. Whoa. Oh my goodness. Did I get doubles? No, no doubles for me. All right, you can just roll them on the, let's throw them on the carpet. Just drop them right in the carpet. Oh, doubles, come on, high five right here. One doubles. Let's see if anybody else gets good doubles. Come on, hurry. Oh, oh, so close. So four and a five. Here we go, here we go. Pastor Tierra is going to give you 5,000 fellowship points if you get doubles. You better get them. Come on. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. What are we going to do? Oh, so close. So, Colton, you want to go next? Has anybody not thrown their, the dice yet? Anybody? Oh, here we go. You got one more. Oh, so close. Four and a five. All right, so we had one person do, get doubles. Does anybody else want to do a do-over and see if they can get doubles? Raise your hand if you want to get a do-over. 
Oh, well, I will, I will let you do a do-over after this service, but what I want you to think about, in, in a minute, we'll do a do-over, or in the, well, probably in about, let's say, mm, 45, 40 minutes or so, we'll do a do-over. But what I want you to think about this morning is do-overs. Has, you guys know what a do-over is? Who's done a do-over before? Has anybody had to do, need to do a do-over? This morning, past, or not past, uh, Emily, who you might see, do you guys know who Emily is? She's over there. She's going to preach this morning, and she, uh, you might have remembered her. She spends a lot of time in the nursery, but she actually went to seminary and is also a social worker around here, and we're going to have her preach for us this morning, and she's going to talk a little bit about a do-over. One of the things that I think is amazing about so many of Paul's letters is he talks about a really big do-over that we all get to experience. And that's that Jesus forgives us when we mess up. The, the greatest do-over-er person uh, a lot that, that has ever lived. But I think it's also kind of peculiar that Paul talks a lot about do-overs. And I think it's peculiar because Paul needed a great big do-over in his life. He messed up a lot. He made some really bad mistakes. And he was the one that was so free and so frequently preaching about do-overs. One thing that I think is interesting is that those of us who recognize that we need a do-over in our lives are oftentimes the people that are most likely to give do-overs to other people. Maybe we can be the kind of people that recognize that we have needed do-overs before, and we should offer other people a do-over when they mess up or hurt us as well. Hey, can I, um, what was the other thing I needed to say this morning? Is that it? I think I'm good. Can I pray for you guys before we leave? Is that right? And we'll pray for Pastor, uh, for Emily too. Let's pray together. God, thanks for uh, this morning and for the chance to hear uh, your word to us uh, from Galatians and for the chance to be reminded of, of the greatest do-over person, do-over-er, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, who offers us all a, a free do-over. May we be a people that often uh, share that do-over-ness uh, with other people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Go back to find your parents. See you later, guys. And we'll do do-over dice rolls after the service. How about that? Hopefully we all caught a little something in that, that as we prepare our hearts. <laughs> to, no, I mean that in the best way possible. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I mean, I mean, we could go home. That was beautiful. That's what I was saying. <laughs> Digging a hole. No, it's really not. Good job, Nate. Yeah, good job, Nate. <laughs> Speaking of do-overs and the love of Jesus, <laughs> as we prepare to hear God's word spoken to our hearts, let's root ourselves in God's love for us. Would you stand and let's sing together. Jesus, thou art welcome. 
Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are continuing with our Letters from Home series this morning. As we have been moving through this series, have you been reminded about any letters you have received? I have not remembered a specific letter, but instead a genre of letters I have received over the years birthday cards. Growing up, it was tradition to celebrate birthdays with my extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents. The routine for these parties was pretty straightforward. Dinner, gifts, cake. Along with each gift would be a birthday card, and the card was a pretty big deal. On my mom's side of the family in particular, funny cards earned you extra points. From a young age, I treasured these cards and kept them. What started out as a shoebox-sized Rubbermaid container graduated to an entire dresser drawer as I got older. Along with birthday cards, thank you cards, camp letters, and just thinking of you notes got added to the bunch. Every once in a while when I was bored, I would go into my room and reread those cards. I would chuckle when I came across the card my grandparents got me a few years in a row for my birthday, <laughs> recite the signature my parents put on every birthday card for myself and my siblings, we love you and are proud of you, love mom and dad, and just smile at the memories and love I felt while rereading those messages again. In our series this summer, we have had and will continue to have the opportunity to reread the New Testament letters and be reminded of our history as Christians and the hope and promises we have in Christ. This morning, we are going to do that by looking at the book of Galatians. 
Before we read the text today, I want to set the stage for this letter a little bit. Galatians was written to a people in the area of Galatia. It differs from many of the other letters we have looked at so far, as it was not written to a smaller or specific group of people, but rather more of a region. There is debate about when the book was written. Scholars have dated the book to sometime between 48 to 57 AD. There are two different theories about when it was written. If it was written on the earlier side of this time frame, it would have been written to the people in southern Galatia, sometime after Paul's first missionary journey, but before the Jerusalem Council found in Acts 15. If it was written on the later side of this time frame, it would have been written to the northern Galatian people after Paul's second missionary journey and the Jerusalem Council. There are ideas that resonate with the themes of the Jerusalem Council in the book, but the piece that makes scholars question this is the description that Paul uses to describe this meeting, how it's different from the description that we can find in Acts. While the date may continue to be debated, this book falls in line with other writings of Paul and follows his theology, so the author is not debated. Paul is passionate and a bit moody in this letter. Some even name this the angry letter of Paul. I wonder if this is something we might share in common with Paul, writing an angry letter. Like, have you ever written an email or a text and then had to delete it before sending it because the first message was filled with too much anger or sarcasm? We might be a little more like Paul than we think. Now, the letter of Galatians can be viewed in three parts, with each part encompassing two chapters. The first part, Galatians 1 through 2, are about Paul's personal journey to freedom and the message of Jesus. Paul also laments the arguments happening that are keeping others from this freedom he has found. Galatians 3 and 4 are the second part. They talk about how the law has changed since Christ has come and God's desire for a large multi-ethnic family. Paul uses the example of Abraham and his sons to tease this out a bit more. The third part consists of chapters five and six, and Paul gets real pointed about what freedom in Christ looks like in these final two chapters. Our text today is going to come from this final section in chapter five, beginning in verse one through verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do, some, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? Such persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. I am confident about you and the Lord, that you will not think otherwise. 
but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. But my friends, why am I still being persecuted if I am still preaching circumcision? In that case, the offense of the cross has, has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would castrate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. I remember sitting in my New Testament foundations class my first semester in seminary and encountering Jesus in a way I never had before. I remember Dr. Brower talking about Jesus coming to earth and fulfilling the covenant promise of God. This was not news. I was already taught this years before, but it hit differently that day. I remember there were diagrams on the board and scripture points mentioned, but I could not redraw those diagrams or share those scripture points that were taught that day because I was too awestruck by God, how God had fulfilled his covenant promise. The way God fulfilled this promise with the life of Jesus truly turned the world on its head. The promise was fulfilled in an unexpected way. To better understand just how radical this covenant promise is, we have to go back to the beginning and look at how Christianity began and the role the Torah played in that movement. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, just a small section of the world. But this movement was only the beginning of God's plan, and this movement was not meant to stay in Jerusalem, but it was meant for all nations. We know this from the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. But before Jesus came to model and share these commands, the Jewish people were given the laws of the Torah to follow. The Torah included 613 laws for the people to follow, and it did help the people to obey God and live into their identity as God's people, set apart for God's purpose at that time. There were laws about circumcision, kosher eating and cleanliness, about property, inheritance, and marriage, about festivals and worship, about murder, adultery, and lying. After Jesus came, though, the laws of the Torah were fulfilled in Jesus, and following Jesus did not require following the laws of the Torah because of how Jesus fulfilled them, except those moral laws, because, spoiler alert, Murder, adultery, and lying, still not great things to do today. But they, along with the rest of the moral laws, are gonna stick around. But we have to remember, we cannot earn our salvation through following the laws of the Torah or those moral laws, but only through Christ. The Jewish Christians were getting upset though because these new followers, they were not following the laws of the Torah. And they were struggling to let go of that the book of Galatians was Paul's response to these Jewish Christians, and it's not a gentle response. 
Paul's not holding back by the time chapter five comes around. While it may come across as anger, I wonder what other feelings Paul is holding at this point. I can't help but think that he is also feeling the awe of what Christ has done in his life, and he deeply wants each person he encounters to understand that same feeling. Paul is reminding us that because of what Christ has done for us, we can't follow a law for living to gain eternal life. We can't forget that Paul has taught this group about Christ and more than likely shared his story and how he experienced freedom in Christ before. So he is disappointed that they are still arguing about following the laws that Jesus came to fulfill. People are still gonna mess up and there will be feelings of guilt over messing up, but because of Christ, forgiveness is offered freely. We don't have to sit in that guilt and shame and instead are given a second chance to love God and love others around us. Paul parses out how Jesus came to fulfill the law of the Torah. Paul talks about being justified. Justification is being in right relationship with God. Paul says that you can't be justified by works and following the laws of the Torah. He uses circumcision as a way of showing this as one way of following the law of the Torah. Paul instead wants to show that God always wanted one large family who had relationship with him through faith and not by following the law. God intended the laws to be temporary and never a long lasting way for people to be in relationship with God. The Torah helped to keep people living in a moral way devoted to God before Jesus came to fulfill the law in a way that we as people are unable to do. Paul says it is silly to require people to continue to live by the laws of the Torah because Christ came to fulfill the law already. Living strictly by these laws is acting like Christ did not come to fulfill the law. Sounds like a pretty crummy way to live, but also how many of us have an easy time changing tradition? It is easy to continue to do things the way we have always done, but we can miss out on the greater reward when we are not willing to look at the reasons behind that original tradition or reason. For example, in my life, I have a favorite recipe from my grandma for pumpkin cake. One of the ingredients in this cake is margarine. I usually have the rest of the ingredients in the house and always have to add margarine to the grocery list and plan ahead when I'm going to make this cake. Just this past year, I mentioned this to my grandma and she casually said she uses butter now. <laughs> I was left a little bit flabbergasted that she just changed the recipe like that. I didn't even think to use butter, even though it would work fine in this recipe, and I always have butter in the house. And butter tastes better. <laughs> but you know what? I have yet to make cake using that, that cake using butter. I continue to follow the instruction that annoys me, knowing that it'll be better and easier to just use the butter, but it's something I'm still not used to doing yet. We can see how Jesus came to fulfill the laws when we look at how the law can be summed up, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now this sounds awfully like the response Jesus gave when asking about what the greatest commandment is in Matthew 22, 37 and 40, through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Do you see that beautiful covenantal arc that God is orchestrating and how Jesus came to fulfill the law of the Torah? The Torah was this written guide and Jesus came in flesh to be the actual guide and give us freedom from following the strict rules of the law and freedom to eternal life. In the verses following our text today, Paul talks about how our old sinful ways bring death and destruction. The Torah spelled out that these old sinful behaviors, what they were and discouraged the people from behaving in these sinful ways. But when Jesus came, he put these ways to death on the cross. When these ways of life are put to death, the spirit then brings a new way of life through the fruits of the spirit. The spirit brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This takes work, but we have to get rid of our old habits and ways of life so there is room for the new ones to grow in. We don't do this alone, but through the work of the Spirit. And when we do from, turn from these old ways and follow Jesus and allow the Spirit to work in us, we experience freedom in Christ. What stirs up in you when you hear the word freedom? It's a word we hear a lot this weekend and a word that can hold a lot of meaning and come with different interpretations. There are many ways that we can experience freedom, but with freedom comes responsibility. Financial freedom comes with the responsibility to spend within our means. Political freedom comes with the responsibility to vote and mental freedom comes with the responsibility to learn and use coping skills and resources. Our freedom in Christ also comes with responsibility. We are responsible to love God and to love others around us. When we are so focused on the law, we can lose the reason why we are following the law. We can get focused on what we can gain from the law instead of how following the law is to grow our relationship with God. Instead, we get to use our freedom in creative ways to love God and others. This may look like volunteering to be part of the meal ministry or becoming a Sunday school teacher. It may look like welcoming a new coworker at work or a new student at school. It may look like praying for your next door neighbor or inviting them to grill out and chill out. The options are truly endless in a way that we each get to use the gifts God has given us to express this freedom. The only option we do not have is to ignore this responsibility. And when we are filled with the Spirit and bearing the fruits of the Spirit, these responsibilities will become less like chores and instead activities that bring us joy. This is not to say that it will always be easy, and there may be times when we want to put these responsibilities at the bottom of our to-do lists, but it is still part of our calling as followers of Jesus. I wonder how often we get caught up in our lives and don't live into our freedom in Christ. There's good news. Jesus is there to forgive and give us a second chance. In my job as a mental health therapist, one of my favorite skills to teach parents is the idea of a do-over. A do-over simply means that when their child acts out, they ask their child if they want a do-over. This gives the child a chance to correct their behavior without a punishment or lecture from the parents. So 
So if a child is angry at a parent and calls the parent a name, instead of the parent saying, hey, that's not okay, apologize for calling me that name, you know better than that, and so on, and so on, and so on, the parent simply asks, do you want a do-over? The child can then choose to express their anger or frustration without calling the parent the name. This can reduce the shame the, the, shame the child may feel. Now, there may be times that a punishment or longer conversation needs to be had, but this is best done when everyone is calm and in a state to be able to have this conversation for it to stick or have any meaning for the child. In Christ's freedom, we're going to mess up and not always take on the responsibilities that are part of this freedom. But God extends grace at this time. We don't have to sacrifice an animal, which is what the laws of the Torah would require. And in doing so, they may hold that feeling of shame and feel like a punishment. But Jesus instead, in coming to fulfill that law, offers us a do-over. We get to try again. Recognizing what we did wrong and yearning to change this behavior because of our love for our Savior. God is going to give us that second chance because God's love for us and and God's yearning for us is to experience freedom in Christ. It is in Christ that we find our freedom and the table is one of the gifts God gave us and a way that we get to experience that freedom. It's at the table that we remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us so we are able to live into our freedom. We remember that he put our old sinful ways to death and gave us freedom to live a new life for him. At the table, we commune with Christ and with each other. It is in the freedom we have in Christ through the spirit that draws us upward to God and outward to each other. At the table, we have hope in our freedom in Christ for what is yet to be. We remember that one day we will feast around the table with Christ and all of the saints who have gone on before us, celebrating this freedom in a completely new way. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as Emily just told us, we get to feast at the table that God has set before us this morning. At this table, we rehearse the story of our triune God who saves us, and in doing so, restores our freedom as human beings. Freedom from sin and death and darkness and false worship and idolatry, and freedom for eternal friendship with him and with one another in him. The Holy Supper, which we are about to celebrate, is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We come in remembrance that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was sent into the world by the Father to fulfill for us obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death on the cross. And by his death and resurrection and ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation that we might be welcomed back into friendship with our God. We, have come, we come to have communion with this same Jesus Christ who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And as the bread, he strengthens us to eternal life. As the vine, he is the one within whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. 
and the bread and the cup, by the power of the Holy Spirit, our own hearts are lifted up into communion with the resurrected and ascended Christ. And we come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and a foretaste of the eternal feast of love and joy that is to come, when with unfailed faces we shall um, behold our Lord made like, up into, like unto him in his glory. Lastly, it is the Holy Spirit who knits us together in love, not only with God, but also with one another, making us into one family, one community. And so we come to the table to commune not only with our God, but also with one another as his people, allowing the love that we have for our God to accentuate and add to and and expand the love that we have for God and for one another. Let's join our hearts in prayer. You'll use the words on the screen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Thanks. Holy and right it is in our joyful duty to give thanks to you at all times and in all places, O Lord our Creator, almighty and everlasting God. You created the heaven with all its hosts and the earth with all its plenty, and you have given us life and being and preserve us by your providence. But you have shown the fullness of your love in sending into this world your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty Savior who has reconciled us to you, we praise and bless you, O God. With your whole church on earth and with all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Most righteous God, we remember in the supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. In the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy, living, and holy and living sacrifices. Together, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. So send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless are to us the communion of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Grant that, being joined together in him, we may experience the fullness, the bounty of your love and grace that we know in Jesus Christ. Amen. On the same night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take eat. This is my body given for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And that same night, after a little time had passed, he took the cup and he filled it. And he gave it to each of his disciples saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Friends, the bread which we break and the cup which we bless is for us our communion with the resurrected Lord. So this time we are going to invite our elders to come forward um, to share the elements with you. Um, We will have four stations up here in the front as well as a gluten-free option over underneath the cross. Um, If you are um, wanting someone to serve you at your seat, um, just raise your hand and there will be an elder who can come over to your seat to join you. 
don't do directions well, left or right, you can follow the arrows there. Uh, <laughs> whatever that says, just do that. Uh, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, come for all things are ready.
As we move into the next week, I hope you are able to experience that freedom that Christ gives us and that expression of freedom. I hope you, as an expression of that freedom, I hope you are able to love God and others through the help of the Spirit. And as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.